right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Medina East. As uh, Tracy said, if you don't know me, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. So thanks for coming out. Thanks for trusting us with your morning. Um, well, if you guys have been with us, with us for a while, you've known that for the past five months, we have been working our way through uh, Jesus's famous teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so we actually broke this teaching down into five different sections, kind of we've been working our way through to make it a little bit more manageable for everyone. And so as you can see in the bottom, our next series is actually going to be called True and False. And so Pastor Tony will be back up here next week, and he's going to be leading us in that. And we're super excited uh, just to dive into to that last part there. And so what that means for today is today we're going to actually close out our series on motives. So if you have a Bible with you, you guys can join me in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be on page 788. If you don't have one, there's a Bible in the, the seat back in front of you, and we say this every week, but uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can feel free to take that Bible home with you. You can just consider that a gift from us. And so before we dive in today, the one thing I do want to say is um, I think that uh, a proper understanding of today's passage is massively important if you're going to continue to follow God well, right? And I don't want to overstate this, but this is one of those passages that I've seen misinterpreted or maybe understood wrongly, and I've seen people actually walk away from their faith because they had a a wrong understanding of this. So again, don't want to overstate it, but I think this is a super important passage for us to understand and to get right, and so uh, excited to jump into it with you guys. So again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7. We read this. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so what I want to do today is I want to start by briefly showing you guys how this passage fits into the greater context of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and specifically even how Jesus ends and kind of sums up this section And then what we're going to do with the bulk of our time is we're going to spend the bulk of our time unpacking the verses in the middle about prayer. And so the section that we just read, this comes on the end of a long series of moral teachings that Jesus has been giving, right? If you've been tracking along with this series, you go all the way back to the start of broken religion, all the way through where we're at today. Jesus had been going on this long series of moral teachings, uh, and Jesus kind of kicked off this section with way back in Matthew 5, 17. He said this, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? And then right after Jesus said this, what he, what he did was he kind of proceeded to reset the moral compass for everybody, right? He kind of evaluated the religious landscape of the day, and he says, you know what, I, I don't think you guys get this. I, I, I don't think we're, we're doing this right. And so he, he starts to walk them through some of the laws and the rules and all the religious things that they were doing. He says, well, let, me, let me show you what God originally intended when he gave you these things. And then he starts to explain to them, and here's how we've messed it up. Here's how we've twisted it and distorted it and turned it into something that it was never designed to be. And so Jesus starts this section of long moral teachings with this phrase, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets, And then notice how he kind of bookends that statement with the verse we just read in our section today. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up 
the law and the prophets. Right? And so after Jesus kind of resets the moral landscape, he now offers a summary statement of everything that he has been teaching. Right? All the way back from the anger, which we looked at back in the beginning of chapter five, all the way through judging others, which Colin unpacked for us last week, he now summarizes all of that. Right? And this is kind of like, if you remember back, this is like the Cliff Notes version. This is the religion for dummies summary statement. Right? And so he kind of looks out at the audience and he says, like, if I can just boil this down for you, the point of all these laws and all these rules, like, I'm just trying to get you guys to love each other. Right? He says, like, if you can just treat other people the way that you would want to be treated, then all of this stuff we've been talking about, I think it would, would all start to make a whole lot more sense for you. That if we can just get this one thing right, right, in this famous statement, right, over time, or even if you have grown up and you didn't really grow up in church, like you've probably heard this before, this statement has just come to be known as the golden rule, right, like this all-encompassing summary statement of the life that Jesus is calling us to live. And to be honest, I don't really think a whole lot needs to be said about this, right? Because it it is what it is. It's a summary statement and Jesus has boiled it down and I think all of us get this. But in the last few verses before Jesus concludes this section, he again turns to the topic of prayer and this is where I want to focus our time today. And again, the reason I want to focus our time here is because I believe a proper understanding of this passage, um, it is just critical in our ability to understand God and to follow him well. And and perhaps to say it another way, maybe it would be a misunderstanding of this passage, I think has the potential to derail your faith or even to cause you to walk away from God altogether. So let's go back. Let's look at it again. Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And so earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already given his attention to the topic of prayer, and he's even given us, as his listeners, a model prayer that we can kind of use as an example in our life. But kind of at the conclusion of this section, again, this long section of moral teachings, as he concludes this section, he circles back to the topic of prayer because he wants to remind and just reaffirm to his listeners that God wants us to ask him for things. Right on a super base level, if you understand nothing else, this passage reminds us that God wants us to ask him for things. And given the context of everything else that Jesus has just taught them, I think this actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because he's just laid out this very long series of very challenging teachings, which would have undoubtedly left his listeners feeling a, a bit overwhelmed at the task at hand. Right, And so as Jesus kind of starts to wind down his sermon, he transitions back to prayer, and he says, guys, this is not something that you have to achieve on your own, but you have a heavenly father who wants to help you with this. Right? He reminds us of this. If you guys have ever spent any significant time around small children, I think you can maybe understand why Jesus might need to say something like this, because there's a phase that every small child goes through that I like to refer to as the I do it stage. Right? So if you have small children, like you're growing up and you're, they're, they're, they're just growing and they're starting to learn and the brain's starting to think and you've been doing these things for them their whole life and then all of a sudden there's a switch that goes off where suddenly you try and help them and they say, no, I do it, right? Because they just, they want to start doing things on their own. And so I remember my own children going through these phases and some of them, they were like, they want to pour a glass of milk for the first time or carry something that's far too heavy for them. 
I remember specifically there was a time I was, I was in my backyard and I was using a sawzall, like a construction thing to, to cut this branch that had fallen off and Hudson looked at me and he big eyes, he's like, dad, I'd do it, right? Like he was, he was ready to go. Uh, and so, but for a variety of reasons, uh, usually uh, because maybe this is a, a, they're in a little bit over their head or this is like far beyond their skill set, right? I, I, I would always look at them and I would say, guys, it's okay to ask me for help. I want you to ask me for help. And right there are other times where I'm like, guys, you, you need to ask me for help. And just for clarity, I did not give my son the sawzall. It was a bad idea. But as we're thinking about this, right, the reality is we do this as adults sometimes still, right? This is the classic dad on vacation who gets lost and refuses to ask for directions. Or it's the, the college student who is trying to pick up something that is like five times heavier than they should be attempting to carry. But I've also seen uh, more serious circumstances where there are couples whose, whose marriage is falling apart, where their finances are a disaster, and for whatever reason, they just they don't ask for help. Right? They just keep that to themselves until usually it's far too late. And so for whatever reason, there is something inside of us that we don't always ask for help, even when we know that we need it. Maybe out of pride or fear or some sort of shame or insecurity that we're dealing with. And so given the context of this passage, I think it makes perfect sense why Jesus says this. He says, guys, the path I've laid out for you, it's not always going to be easy. And so I want you to know it's okay to ask for help. And I want you to ask for help. And there might even be times where you need to ask for help. And the words that Jesus chooses to use here in this passage, they communicate a persistent, active asking. They communicate that this is something that we should be doing on a regular and an ongoing basis. I like how the, the NLT translated it. It says, right, it says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Right, again, this active, ongoing thing. And this is not the only place we see this. Another place we see this is in Luke 18. It's right before the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, Luke gives us a little introduction, and he says this. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Right, they should always pray and not give up again this consistent, ongoing, active prayer life that he is calling us to. And not only does Jesus use repetition to to call us to ask him for things, he also uses repetition in this passage to drive home his response. Right, he says, it's ask and it will be given and you will find and the door will be opened for everyone who asks, receives, seeks, finds. The person who knocks, again, the door will be opened, right? So six times in these two verses alone, God promises to respond. Over and over, Jesus says, if you are persistent in your requests, I will be persistent in my response. I will hear you. I will not ignore you. I will respond to you. Now, I think for most of us, this is the moment where the tension of the text starts to set in, right? Because we see a verse like this and we think, and Kevin, I I would love to believe this. I really want to believe this, but but I've tried this and it, it didn't really always go that way for me, right? And there were doors that I, I feel like I was convinced that God was telling me to knock on and the door, the door didn't open. 
So this verse, man, this sounds nice, but if I'm honest, I struggle with believing it a little bit. And so the question is, well, what does this verse actually mean, right? Does it actually mean that God is going to give you whatever you ask for if you ask him? Well, traditionally, uh, followers of Jesus, when they read passages like this one, uh, they tend to fall in two different, uh, we'll just call them camps or directions. And so on one end of the spectrum, we're going to have what I'm going to call the, the name it and claim it theology. Now, I recognize that if you were in the far corners, you cannot see this sign because I was uh, either not smart enough or too lazy to make a three-dimensional one. So this is the name it and claim it sign, uh, and this represents that kind of theology. And so this, this kind of theology comes from a variety of different places and passages. It's very similar to the one that we looked at today. Uh, another predominant one would be this. Uh, John 14 right, reads this. It says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Right? And so if we kind of, this kind of theology, if you were to fall into this camp, if this is the direction you would interpret this verse, how this would work is you would, uh, let's say you have a friend and they're, they're going through something, maybe they're, they have an illness or a disease, and so you'd, you'd pray to Jesus and you'd say, Jesus, I want you to, would you heal my brother Mark? And I'm going to ask this in the name of Jesus because that's the key, right? You got to say in my name. And so they'd pray in the name of Jesus, and then they would say, well, this is your promise, so I'm going to claim that this is true. So they, they name it, and then they claim the promise, right? And then at the end, they expect that Mark is going to be, he's going to be healed, because that's, that's what Jesus said he would do. And then if you do this and you try this, and it doesn't go quite the way that you were expecting it to go, this line of thinking might point you to a second verse that says something like this. It would say, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Right, and so if you, if you pray for something, and you do it in the name of Jesus, and then it, it doesn't quite go how you want. Someone in this theological camp, they might say, well, you, you, know, you know what the problem is? Well, the problem's actually you. The problem is that you, you just didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe enough. And if you had believed more when you asked, then you would have gotten what you received. And so, so I guess you're just going to have to find a way to, to have more faith. Right? And so this is, this is one way to interpret the passage that we've been looking at today. But as you can imagine, there are some problems with this line of thinking, right? So let me just take a moment and walk you through a, a couple, couple problems that I see if you're going to go in this direction. Uh, the first one's this. I thought this was interesting. Um, Jesus got a prayer request rejected. I don't know how many of you guys have ever thought about this before, but uh, when Jesus was about to go to the cross... He, uh, he prayed a prayer in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels uh, in which he asked God to do something and God does not give him what he asks, right? Check this out. Mark 14, Jesus says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, right? Everything is possible. Will you take this cup from me? 
So if you don't know the context, this is right before Jesus is about to go to the cross, right? He is literally, he's feeling the weight of everything that is about to, to, to unfold in front of him. And so he looks at God and he says, God, I don't know that I, I really want to go through with everything that's coming. Like, I, everything's possible. Would you take this from me? Would you take this burden from me? Now, here's the deal, right? I thought about this this week. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that Jesus had enough faith, right? Like of all the people, I think that Jesus had enough faith. So we we can check that box. So I went to the next question. Well, uh, did he ask it in the name of Jesus? Well, whatever that means, I think it's safe to say that he did that, right? He asked for this in his own name. And the result, Jesus didn't get what he asked for, right? He still had to go through with it. He still died. He still went to the cross. So if you've ever prayed for something and you haven't gotten it, well, the good news is you're you're in good company because that has happened to Jesus too. And so if you are in the name it and claim it camp, well, this verse, this verse poses a problem for you. Now, a second problem with this line of thinking uh, is this, is that in the name of Jesus is not actually a magical phrase. Like, this is not the secret sauce or some special code that's going to unlock your prayer life and suddenly give you the answer of everything you're looking for. What it actually means is it means in accordance with his will. So the verse that we looked at earlier came from John, and a little bit later in one of John's other writings, he clarifies this. First John 5 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if you've ever prayed a prayer and you've ended it uh, with the phrase or something along the lines of, God, we ask these things in your name, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, right? I've prayed prayers like that often. What you're actually saying is, God, we, we pray these things in accordance with your will, And so if you were to to leave here today and you'd say, dear Jesus, I would like a brand new boat and I ask these things in your name, Jesus is not obligated to give you a brand new boat because that might not actually be in accordance with his will. And this is why in the verse that we just looked at earlier, Jesus' prayer, uh, the next line, the very next line, he says, will you take this cup for me? It says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Right, Jesus was not trying to name it and claim it. He made a bold request, but he acknowledged that his father might have different plans that he needed to submit himself to. So here's the reason why I I think understanding this matters so much. Because if you go in this direction, and if you kind of fall into this camp, there are one of two things that are most certainly going to happen to you. The first one is this. It's that you're going to beat yourself up. Here's what I mean by that. You're going to pray for things and you're going to say, this thing says that I'm, I'm supposed to get what I want and, and, and the problem is if it doesn't happen, the problem is me. The problem is that I just must not have enough faith. Right? And you're going to do this over and over and some of them might come true and some might not and the ones that don't, again, you're going to go, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just, I just need to muster up more faith. And you will eventually, you'll just continue to beat yourself up when you feel like you don't, you don't have what it takes. Here's the second thing that I'm pretty sure is going to happen. It's that you're going to become disillusioned in your faith, right? Because you have a certain set of expectations, and I would say false expectations of God, and when he does not live up to your false expectations, you're going to become disillusioned. 
right? As you get things don't go the way that you expect enough times over and over, you're going to look at God and you're going to say, well, either God doesn't care about what I'm asking him for, or maybe he's not even there. And usually by the time you get to this point, you don't even care what it is because you're, you're just done with him. You're like, God, I'm out. I'm over this. And so if this is what the passage doesn't mean, well, that still leaves the question, well, what does it mean? And so there are certainly a lot of things that we don't know about prayer, uh, but there are a lot of things that we do know from his word that we do have clarity on. So let me just walk us through some of the things we do have clarity on. So first thing we have clarity on is this, is that God encourages us to ask. Right over and over and over throughout the scriptures, God is encouraging us to ask him for things. A couple verses that explain this or show this, uh, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Right? He tells us to ask him for stuff. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Again, God is saying, I, I want you to ask me for things. We have clarity on that. Here's something else we have clarity on. We're told to be persistent. Right over and over and over, he says, I don't want you to just ask me once, I want you to keep asking me for things. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says to pray continually. Luke 18, when we looked at this earlier, this is right before the persistent widow parable, right? He shows them these things so that they should always pray and never give up. God calls us to be persistent in prayer. Here's something else we know. Uh, we know that prayer is effective, James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Then Mark 9, I have to explain this one a little bit. So there's this, uh, I just find this a fascinating story in the book of Mark. And so there's this scenario where Jesus, uh, his disciples are trying to cast a demon out. So his disciples are gathered together. They got this guy, there's a demon inside and they're trying to cast it out and they're trying everything they can think of to get rid of this demon. And they just can't figure it out. They can't do it. And so then Jesus comes strolling up on the scene and they're like, Jesus, we've tried everything. We can't get this demon to come out. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, well, did you pray? Right, and the disciples, I have to imagine, sat there in this really long, awkward silence and like looked at each other and they're like, did you pray? Did you, no, no. Right, and they look back at Jesus, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no we, didn't, we didn't try that one. Right, and Jesus says, well, well, that's your problem. Right, and then he says this line, he says, because this kind can only come out by prayer, right? Like the only solution to their problem was to pray. We know that prayer is effective. Here's another one we know. Uh, we know that God already knows what we need. We read about this a couple weeks ago when uh, we walked through the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 7, it said this, uh, 6, 6 through 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We actually saw this same idea again a couple weeks ago when we, when we walked through the section on worry. Our Father knows what we need. Now, I gotta be honest, the first time I like really read this, I think it was early in college when I like, like this clicked for the first time, this passage messed with me. And I was telling someone else before, I have an engineering background, and so I'm just kind of trained to think in a very logical, straightforward way. And so when I read a passage that says God already knows, you know what question comes into my mind? 
well, then why am I telling him? Right, like what's the point of telling him something if God already knows? And I think this was a wake-up call for me. This was the point where like, I, I realized, I was forced to realize, you know what? I, I thought I knew what prayer was all, was, about, was all about, but here I am in college, and I, I think I've been missing it. Right? I think prayer is about far more than just communicating things, that maybe there's something far bigger going on. Here's one more thing we know. We know that God does not always give us what we want. Right, we all know this. We've all asked for things, prayed for things, begged God for things, and the reality is God does not always give us what we want. Which, if we're honest, it frustrates us. Right, it makes us ask the question, why? God, why don't you just give me what I want? Isn't that what this passage says? Why can't you just give me this one thing. And I think for some of you, some of you, you have a significant amount of pain and frustration around a prayer request that did not get answered the way that you thought it should have. Right? Because you, just, you weren't just asking for the Browns to win. You were praying for God to save your marriage or for God to give you a child or for God to heal someone you loved. So that to you, I just kind of want to like pause the sermon for a moment and just say, I'm so sorry that you went through that or that you're going through that. And I want to acknowledge that there's nothing that I'm going to do or say that I, I can stand on stage and just like solve that or take that away from you. I, I can't. Right? That's something that you and God are going to have to wrestle with. And there are, there are no easy answers that we can offer you that's going to fix this. But even though there aren't any easy answers, I do think there are a few things that maybe God would want us to at least consider as we walk through some of those hard moments. I do think there's some things that we can still learn about God that might be helpful to us. Let me just, let me walk us through a few of those things. Um, so why does God not always give us what, I, what we want? Um, here's one possible reason. I, I think sometimes God might be protecting us. Right? Sometimes God and his sovereignty, he is protecting us from our own requests. So as I was thinking about this, my mind went to my, my own household. I have three small kids at home who, if left to their own accord and own way of thinking, would probably do things like watch YouTube for 12 to 16 hours a day and uh, maybe eat ice cream for breakfast every single day of the week. These are real things that my children would consider doing, right? And so uh, we obviously at times, there are times where we do let our children watch uh, we give them an iPad, we let them watch a show on there or YouTube or whatever, and there are, there are times where we do allow our kids to have ice cream, even times where I will volunteer and say, hey guys, would you like to go get ice cream, right? So we allow our kids to do these things, but we don't always say yes to them, right? Because I understand that if you stare at a screen for 10 hours a day, that there are implications, like they can lead to things like depression, and I understand the, the physical health ramifications of what eating ice cream for breakfast would do to you if you actually did that, right? Because I understand these things, because I see things that my small children are incapable of seeing, I don't always say yes to them. And my guess is, if you guys were to think back on your prayer life, you can think of things that you asked for that you now look back on and you think, I'm really glad God didn't give me that. 
right? You can think of things that in the moment you were, you were like passionately saying, God, I want this. And now you look back and you're like, I'm so glad God did not give me that, right? I'm so glad he did not give me that job or I'm so glad I'm not married to that person or I'm so glad that, right, fill in the blank. We can all look back and think of things that we really wanted in the moment that God didn't give us and now we're really glad he didn't give us that. Right? Can you imagine if God actually gave us everything we asked for? My guess is half of you would probably be married to someone from the second grade, right? You had your first crush and you were praying for something, right? Right, And you're seven, you don't know better, but you're, you're asking for it. I like how uh, author Tim Keller put it. He said it like this. He said, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Let me say that again. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. And so the reality is because God is infinitely wise and because God can see things that we can't see, there will be times, not every time you get a request denied, it doesn't mean he's doing this, but there will be times when God denies a request, not because he's mad at us, not because something's wrong with us, not because we don't have enough faith, but precisely because he loves us. Sometimes God is protecting us. Here's another reason we don't always get what we want. It's that God gives people free will. Let me take a moment to explain this one. This one's not as, uh, just doesn't click as easily. So there was a time where I was, uh, I was in seminary and I was in a room with a whole bunch of uh, pastors and other interns and we were just part of some training and we were learning some stuff and there was a, a seasoned leader pastor up front who was training this room of pastors. And one of the things that he was teaching us about was prayer. And so as he was explaining this to us, he drew two circles on the board and he said, this circle on this side, this is gonna represent your will. And the circle on this side, this is gonna represent God's will. And where these two circles overlap, where your will and God's will, where those things overlap, this, this is where you get answered prayer. And I remember being an intern and hearing this and I thought, man, that's... That's so insightful, that's so smart. And I looked around the room and a lot of the pastors in the room, they were kind of nodding along in agreement. And, and then all of a sudden there was one guy who like, younger guy just in the back, he had a courage to raise his hand and he said, can I challenge you on this, right? So we all like, we all, our ears perk up, we all get interested, like oh, this is gonna be interesting, right? And so uh, this guy in the back, he says, so I, I have this friend that I've known for most of my life and I, I pray for him all the time that he's gonna be saved. Right, I long for my friend to come and know Jesus. And I also know from scripture that it says that God wants all men to be saved. Right, so, so my will wants my friend to be saved and God's will wants my friend to be saved. So does this mean that my friend will be saved? And kind of the seasoned pastor up front, he thought about it for a moment and he said, no, it doesn't mean that. Why? Well, because God gives people free will and that friend, well, they, they have the ability to choose. And so we could go down a, a really long rabbit hole here and we're not gonna go down it, but this idea where you start taking this idea of free will and you, 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 you merge that with the reality that we live in a broken and sinful world. And the reality is when I sin, my sin affects you. And when you sin, your, effect, your sin affects me and it affects the people around you. 
Right, and so again, I, I pray for my children all the time. I pray prayers of protection over them. But the reality is, as long as there is free will in the world, and as long as there are people who sin in the world, the only way that God could truly protect us from everything that could ever go wrong, he would have to take that away from us. And for whatever reason, God's chosen to give us free will. He lets us do things like sin. And there are all kinds of other factors that could show up, right? So God might use a trial to grow us. So maybe we're praying to get past this thing, but we know from his word that there are, there are times, not every time, but there are times where God might use this to grow you and to mature you, right? Sometimes I think God isn't saying no, he's saying yes, but not yet. So maybe he is gonna give you this thing, but he's gonna make you wait for it. So there's some patience that he wants you to experience, Here's another example. What if there are conflicting prayer requests? Or what if you have two Christians who are praying for the same job? Right, like God can't give it to both of them. What if there are two Christians who are praying for different candidates? I know that would never happen, but hypothetically, if that were to happen, right, like what is God, right? So as you can see, right, this can start to get pretty complex. Right? There are a lot of things that are going on here. And so, so here's the conclusion. Prayer can't be boiled down to some formula that is guaranteed to work every single time, right? It's far too complex for that. But I think we kind of want that, right? And so we think, but what, what if I go into my room and close the door? And, and what if I just end my prayer by saying in the name of Jesus? What if I just have enough faith? What if I believe more? What if I gather two or three together, right? Your word says that, so if I get two or three, does that guarantee that we're gonna get what we want? And I, th I think what happens to some of us is we start to see all of these things and some of us, we start to get overwhelmed by all of this. And so we get to the point where we're just like, God, I just, I forget it, I give up. Like, I, I'm over it. If God already knows what I need, if he only gives what's best for me anyways, if God's still gonna allow good, bad things to happen to good people, then like, what's the point? And so some of us, instead of being on this end of the spectrum, we swing all the way over here, and we get to the point where we decide that prayer is a waste of time. Right, there's no real point in praying because God's gonna do whatever God's gonna do. And it doesn't really matter what I have to say because I don't, I don't think that factors in at all. And so now, instead of viewing God like a genie who's going to do whatever we want, some of us, we view God like a dictator who's going to do whatever he wants. Right? And our prayer requests, they are irrelevant because God is distant and aloof and he is just out there and he is uninterested in the things that we have to say. And so, so what do we do with this? Right? We come to a passage like we come to today we're trying to figure out what it means, and there seem to be two polar opposite responses. Well, I think what is really insightful is actually what Jesus says next. Let's go back to our passage and see what he says. He goes on to say, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
And so immediately following Jesus' statement of ask, seek, knock, Jesus leans into this analogy of a father and a son. And I think what he's doing, I think it's actually brilliant. Because what I think Jesus is doing is he is really challenging us to consider how we view him and to consider how that might affect how we in turn approach him. Right? I think he's challenging us to consider the type of God we believe him to be because he knows that, he knows that will impact the way that we pray. I like how theologian D.A. Carson put it. He said this. He said, for we frame our requests in accordance with what we know of the character of the one we are addressing. Let me say that one more time. For we frame our requests in accordance with what we know of the character of the one whom we are addressing. He goes on to say this. He says, the child with the kind, gentle, and firm father does not fear to ask him for things, but deep down knows he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something which greater wisdom and experience assesses as not in the child's best interests. The child with the extravagant but thoughtless father approaches him with arrogance and lays down his next demand, knowing he will not be refused. The child with the stingy, ill-tempered, and abusive father will seldom ask for anything, fearing another meaningless beating. Right, and so how we view God and how we view his character impacts how we pray and it impacts how we read a passage like the one we're looking at today. And so after Jesus encourages us to ask him for things, he now says, and when you ask, I don't want you to ask me like I'm an extravagant, careless father. He says, I don't want you to approach me like I'm a vending machine where you just stick in your prayer requests and like you just get what you want. I don't want you to approach me like I'm a genie that's just gonna like succumb to your every wish and command. But I also don't want you to approach me like I'm some dictator who does not care and is just gonna do whatever I want. But he says, I'm not some distant, aloof, out there God. He says, that might be what some people are like. That is not what I am like. He says, when you approach me, I want you to approach me like a small child approaches their father. I want you to come to me with a confidence that I love you like crazy and an assurance that I am wise enough to know when to say yes. As I was reflecting on this idea this past week, the obvious place my mind went was to my own relationship with my children, right? So I have three children at home. This is the picture of me with my youngest daughter, Harper. I am biased, but I think she's uh, quite adorable. And uh, so she is almost two now. And uh, so that means she's learning to talk and she is at the point where she is clearly able to ask us for things, right? She has learned to do that, which also unfortunately means she has also learned to express herself when she does not get, get what she wants, which is made for some uh, more, uh, more interesting lengthy car rides at times. Uh, so, but here's the deal. I don't always give Harper what she wants. But as her father, right, there's something inside of me that wants to. Right, I love this little girl with everything inside of me and I want the absolute best life that I can imagine for her. There is no good thing that I can think of that I don't want for her. 
and I can't imagine a scenario where she would ask me for one and I wouldn't want to give it to her. And Jesus says, if this is how I as an earthly father, right, he looks at the audience, he looks to the dads out there and he says, dads, you guys are messed up. Right, he calls them evil. You're broken, you're sinful, you're selfish, you lack patience, there's all sorts of things wrong with you. And you get this. And so if you get this in your brokenness, how much more confident should you be in your heavenly father who is perfect? And he says our confidence, it shouldn't come from what we ask for. And it shouldn't come in like the, the ratio of yeses to noes that we've historically gotten, right? If you've got a little list somewhere, like, ah, right? Like, he says your confidence, it comes from the character of the one you are asking. It comes from the fact that we have a perfect heavenly father who loves you like crazy and who is wise enough to process through all of our requests. Right, and so God says, he says, guys, I want you to ask for things and I want you to have confidence in me, but don't, don't come to me like this and don't come to me like this. Come to me like a small child who has confidence in the character and the love of a heavenly father. So I'm gonna invite the band back up, but as they're coming, let me just kind of close with this. Um, I recognize that there are uh, there are a lot of, a variety of people in this room, right? And you guys have different experiences and backgrounds, and some of you guys are in very different places. And so for some of you guys, you hear a talk like this, and it's like, it's kind of fun to think it through, and you're just like, you're learning about prayer, and that's cool. Um, but you, like, for the most part, like you would say, life is good. Like you're, you're doing okay. And, uh, and what my challenge to you is you're gonna need to file this away. Because there's gonna come a time where life is not going so well, and when you're praying for something and it's, it's real, right? And the emotions are now high and you're in it and you are frustrated. And the challenge in that moment is you're gonna need to lean back on some of the stuff that we just talked about and you're gonna need to lean into not the circumstances around you, but into the confidence that you have in the character of the one you're asking. And for others of you in the room, you're not, that's not like hypothetical. You are there right now. We're like, you are in it, and if you're honest, you are frustrated with God because you have been asking for something forever, or you asked for something and like it has passed and it did not come true, and you, you're mad, you're frustrated. And I think the challenge is really the same. But I wish I had some like, more like super clear conclusion that I could give you that could solve this, but the place that Jesus leaves us is he says, your confidence, it comes in the character of the God that you're asking. And as I look back at my own life, like I can think of moments where I was frustrated in the moment and I did not get it and I didn't understand why the answer was no. But as when I zoom out and I, I kind of get out of the emotions of the moment and I look back, what I see, I see is a long track record of a loving father who knew a whole lot more than I did. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna let the band lead us out. Um, yeah, and I just, I just, if you guys are there uh, and you need to take a moment, maybe even as we sing this first song, like maybe, maybe just, just do what the passage says and just, just cry out to God and would you ask him for things? So let me pray for us. 
Father, we know that you're good. You have proven that over and over and over. You proved that on the cross. God, we also know that I know that in times when I wanted things and didn't get them, it sure didn't feel that way. So God, I ask that you would kind of just meet with everyone in this room where they're at and whatever it is they're going for. God, and I pray that you would do the things that I am far uh, too inadequate to do, that you would uh, help them work through the things that they're going through, that you would help them see things that they need to see, and that you would help them just feel loved by you. God, thanks for being a God that we can trust. Thanks for being the God who is good and who is wise and who, uh, who sees things we don't. So Father, we love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in your name according to your will. Amen.